Good to see you folks today, and welcome to our, our, um, our kids and our students uh, joining us this morning. That is exciting, and I, I love uh, family worship weekends and the opportunity to um, have, have uh, all of our people here. That's really, really good. I love it. Um, this morning, guys, we're in, uh, um, we're in uh, the book of 1 John. We're uh, going through this series um, uh, walking through the, uh, the book of 1 John, which is actually more, uh, we think, a, a sermon that uh, the apostle John um, preached to the church that he was pastoring and then was written down and kind of circulated among the other churches that were in that area around Ephesus. We know that John spent uh, several years pastoring uh, in a church uh, there in the area of Ephesus and uh, most likely had relationships with quite a few churches. And so uh, we're going to be in First uh, John chapter 4 this morning. If you've got your Bibles or open your apps and, um, and find your way there, uh, John gives us in his gospel uh, in chapter 20 verse 31, he gives us the reason that he wrote down his gospel. And he says uh, he wrote it so that the readers might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing they might have life through his name. And John wrote this letter, and he gives us the reason for that as well. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I've written this so that Christians could have a fellowship with the apostles, with, the, uh, with God the Father, and with Jesus Christ. And so John's purpose in writing this letter or in uh, maybe giving this uh, message is to motivate his readers to cultivate a greater intimacy with God. And we see this show up over and over and over through this whole uh, letter that we've been reading this whole time, you, you see these themes just recirculating over and over. Fellowship with God, love God, abide with God. You see this over and over. Um, John is really good at kind of writing uh, in a, a kind of a circular manner. He, re he comes back to these themes over and over and over again, but it's about intimacy with God. It's about fellowship with God. The greater our intimacy, the greater our fellowship, the better we know God ex um, experientially, and the closer we're able to abide in him. And so we want to jump in this morning. Now, Pastor Ben last week ended his message in chapter 3, verse 24. So I want to back up a little bit. If you're right there in chapter 4, you're just going to look, just, just back up just one, one verse. Take a look there. And I want to read chapter 3, verse 24. We're going to get a run into our section um, today. Chapter 3, verse 24 in the book of 1 John. This is what it says. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So there's an evidence, there's a, there's a clue, there's a, um, there's a deposit that's in us as believers that says uh, uh, 
I am in Christ and Christ is in me. We are together in this thing and that evidence is his spirit that he puts in us when we surrender ourselves to him. This obedience results in a mutual abiding. God in us and us in God. God indwells every believer and he abides in every obedient believer with his presence, his fellowship, his power, and his blessing. The evidence that God abides in us is this manifestation of his spirit in us and through us. If you're taking notes this morning, I'll write, write down these two um, references, and it talks about this, uh, this deposit of the Holy Spirit that's given when we, um, when we give our lives to Christ, when we become uh, believers and we're, we're rescued and we're saved. Two, two scriptures that you can look up on your own, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Both talk about the deposit of the Holy Spirit that comes. It's a, it's a promise and it's an evidence for us. This intimacy, this abiding is going to prove critical as we look at the first part of chapter 4 together. <clears throat> uh, John Newton, who's a, a, a theologian from way, way, way back. Man. This is what he says. The more you know God, the better you will trust him. And the more you trust him, the better you will love him. And the more you love him, the better you will serve him. It comes back to the intimacy, that fellowship, the abiding with God that helps develop in us a trust and that trust leads to us obeying him even more. So let's look at, uh, let's jump into chapter 4. Uh, and it's really important that we kind of lay that foundation of abiding and that, that fellowship and that sweet intimacy with God because it's going to lead, it's, it's really pivotal, it's really, uh, uh, it's really critical to what, uh, we're looking at in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 with me, and this is what John writes. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So now, in chapter 3, right at the end, he says, This is the evidence. This is the evidence of abiding with God is his spirit in us. And then in chapter 4, right there, the very next uh, sentence that John says is, but you've got to test the spirits. You've got to, you've got to test the, the messages that you're hearing. Now sometimes those messages, if you're like me, sometimes those messages are up here, aren't they? Right? Ooh, I have a feeling I should do this, right? And those are messages and they need to be tested. Because sometimes that's just, you know, the bad Mexican food that you had last night. You know what I mean? So sometimes those messages are here and a lot of times they're influenced by the messages that are coming from out here 
into our ears. And John says, just be careful. He says, be careful. That not every feeling that wells up in you is the Holy Spirit. You've got to test the messages that you're hearing to make sure that they're in line with the truth. He said, you've got to test the spirits. Literally, what he says is, do not believe, is literally stop believing. The people that he was writing to, the people that he was pastoring, some of them had been, uh, were being convinced by these other messages, the messages of a false gospel from um, false prophets, they were bringing a message and they were convincing some people to turn away from the true gospel that John had taught. And he says literally, stop believing. Stop believing them. Instead, John gives his, his congregation, his, his uh, brothers and sisters, he gives them a measuring stick, and a means to test and evaluate the messages that were being um, spoken in the day. And what is the test? Let's look in verses 2 and 3. Look at what John says. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is, is not from God this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, one of my fears in this section, as uh, it was assigned to me, and I'm, I'm grateful for the challenge, because as I read it, um, three out of the four times that this word Antichrist is used, they were all used by John, and, and three of the times it's right here in this text. And I don't want it to be a distraction. So I, I appreciate, and if you, uh, if you missed it, um, go back and listen to, um, uh, go back and listen to Bill Ewing's sermon on chapter two, which is the other place where John uses this word, because uh, Bill does a really good job of explaining that the Antichrist, that the idea of the Antichrist and that message of the Antichrist is, is simply a message of Christ plus something else. It's a distortion of the true gospel. And that message and that motivation comes from the perspective of the world, the worldly kingdom. So I don't want us to get distracted by that word, but it is an important part of the message today. Look at what John says. You can test the spirit. What's the measuring stick that he gives? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, John was dealing with, in his day, a, a couple of heresies, a couple of false teachings that, have, that were working their way into the church, and John was fighting against that. One of those um, twisted schools of thought was this idea of Gnosticism, and it was, a, it was again, it was an adding to the gospel was saying, well, here's what you've heard, and then there's a little more. If you're really super spiritual, then you'll understand the bigger truth. 
and they began to add to and twist the gospel. And John had that specifically in mind as he was writing. And he's saying, test, test, test. Test those messages against the truth, what you know to be true, what you were taught originally. This word confess that John uses here, he says, not every spirit, oh, and every spirit that does not confess that is, that, uh, does not confess Jesus is not from God, but every spirit that does confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. This word confess is actually a, a compound word. It, it comes from, the, from two words, homo meaning the same and lego meaning to speak. And so literally to speak the same thing as another. So when the messages that we're hearing, if it's not consistent if it's not in line, if it's not echoing the same truth and the same value that we read in the measuring stick of Scripture, then it should raise a red flag for us and we should examine it and push aside those messages that don't say the same thing as Scripture. In the Old Testament, there were three tests for a false prophet. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first one, the first test for false prophets that God gives to his people is the test of sound doctrine. It says, Deuteronomy 13, uh, starting in verse 1, says, If a prophet or if one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if that sign or wonder spoken, uh, spoken of takes place, and then the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and he you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. You catch that at the beginning? If there's someone that comes into your midst and they do a sign or a wonder, they do something amazing, and you're like, whoa! Who else could do that but someone who was speaking the truth? And yet their message is, let's, let's worship another God? God says, just set them out. In fact, if you read the next verse, it says, put them to death. Just get, cut that out of your community because it has no place. The second test that God gave his people was an accurate prediction. Deuteronomy 18 says, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If a prophet uh, proclaims in the name of the Lord and yet that thing doesn't take place or it doesn't come true, then that message uh, of the Lord has not been spoken and that prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. So in the first example, a guy does something and it's amazing and it actually happens, but then the message that goes with it is worship a different God. God says, cut it out. 
In the second one, a guy uh, tells the future or he says this is going to happen and then that thing doesn't happen, don't listen to him either. Because if he's really speaking in the message of God, it's going to happen. But it's also going to have a consistent message. God, listen, God's spirit does not lead us in a direction that is counter to the word. This is the thing that we measure against. This is the word that doesn't change. It doesn't shift with cultural opinion or with polls. It doesn't change. And so we hear the messages and we have to come back and check them against the word. I had a conversation just this week with a person much younger than me. who knows the Lord, but isn't walking with the Lord. And the conversation's really interesting because this person's saying, they're questioning all of these things that, that used to be very firm in their minds. But admittedly, they said, I don't believe this. And when we don't have a standard to measure against, we're all over the place. I don't know if there's one God. I don't know if there are a lot of gods. I don't know if there are any gods. I don't know what happens after we die. I don't know if there's anything that's next. I don't know if we're just put in the ground, if, we're just, if that's the end of it. I don't know if there's life after this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? There's lots of things I don't know, folks. Lots of things I don't know. But there are a few things that I do know, and I know them because of this. And it's not just the words, and I read it and I go, okay, well, let me just swallow that. It's because what I read here matches my experience with a God that I have a fellowship with. We have to come back to what doesn't change. If we don't have a measuring stick, It's hard to know what's true. The third test that God gave his people in the Old Testament is Jeremiah chapter 23. It's moral behavior. Now, you can read the whole chapter, Jeremiah 23. Whew. Jeremiah preached a long time to, a, uh, to the nation of Israel, and nobody listened to him. Right? That, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a really hard assignment. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, the whole chapter talks about these prophets that were not living a life that was in line with what they were preaching. I'm going to read just a section. Verse 11 says, Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will become slippery. Well, that 
sounds like something with no tether point, doesn't it? They will be banished to darkness, and there they will fail, or they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year that they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and they live a lie. And they, they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. We've got to test the messages that we hear, folks. And it's not just the words, but it's, it's the whole thing that we see. Look at what Jesus said about evaluating false prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." Sometimes when we read that section of scripture, we, we, interpret, we interpret by their fruit to mean by their works. But look now, Jesus clarifies it in Matthew chapter 12 that their fruit isn't works, but their words, their messages. Look at it in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, either make the tree, the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. What is the fruit? Look, verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you, what does it say? How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance or from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good, brings uh, forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every clueless, a careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The fruit is their word, their message. What is the message? John says, test every spirit. Test every message that you hear. Does it speak the same thing as the word? It wasn't the behavior of those wolves that set them apart from the sheep because they, they looked like sheep. They fit in with the sheep. But it was their message. And it really was their message that had the power to rip the flock apart. It's so important. Look in verse 4. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, meaning the false prophets. For, God, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. There's a good verse. That's a verse of hope, right? Like, because we hear an awful lot of messages. We hear an awful lot of messages. And here John is saying, look, the spirit that is in you has already conquered the world system. It is greater and it is more powerful. And listen to it. Lean into it. The spirit that indwells us is far more powerful than the spirit of our enemy who operates the world system. He has been defeated. We overcome Satan, his agents, and his influence as we resist his temptations to doubt and deny and disregard and disobey the word of God. The Spirit is the evidence of our abiding with God. And our abiding comes out of our obedience, our obeying, our trusting in who God is. And the more that we trust him, the more that we obey him, the deeper the fellowship and the deeper the intimacy and the better we know who God is or and what his message is for us. Look at verses five and six. The false prophets are from the world and they speak from the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's the thing, the false prophets are from the world, meaning that they have their source from the world system. Their native language is the flesh. And this is an advantage for them. Because when they begin to speak from the world system, that message connects to our flesh. And so often it sounds good. Ooh. I like that guy's messages. Ooh, that makes me feel good. And, we, and we're drawn to it. it. It sounds so good. And so often it's comfortable. And so often it's, it's not challenging. It, it resonates with our flesh. So I'm saying when we hear messages that just feel good, would you all just pause for just a second and go, okay, let me take a closer look at this. I'm not saying that everything that we hear from, the, from God's word is challenging and, and uncomfortable and disruptive, but a lot of it is, isn't it? Paul describes it as there's a war that's going on inside me, the spirit of God and my flesh, and it's battling for control, and there is some conflict going on. But that message from these false prophets from the world, they have the advantage of a message being received 
by the world because they speak the same language and they, they share or they cultivate the same values as the world. And in contrast, we're from God. And our ears need to be tuned to the kingdom of God. And this is where our fellowship and our abiding and our intimacy proves critical. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens the door wide. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought, all of his, brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they don't follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Do you see the critical nature of the abiding of the fellowship, of the intimacy with the Lord, the more time we spend listening and hearing the shepherd's voice, the more clear it will be and the easier it is for us to recognize outside false messages and voices. Jesus goes on in John chapter 10, he goes on and he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is hired, he who is the hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. When we know the shepherd's voice, it's only come, that comes from time with him, from walking with him, spending time in his presence, listening to him. A really bad habit that I've developed over the last uh, two months or three is I, I read political columns. I shouldn't do this. I'm, I'm confessing and I'm admitting it to you. I shouldn't. But there's, there's, one, there's one columnist that I really, really like to read. I, I, I find him very, very funny. And I, and I find that when, I, when I'm on a website and he's one of the contributors, that sometimes I'll just click on the headlines and I'll start reading the article, but I don't look at the byline. You know what I'm saying? So I click an article, I just start reading. It, within the first paragraph... I can recognize this author that I really, really like because I know his voice. I know the way that he writes. I, I, I like the nicknames that he gives to the usual suspects that he writes about. I, I, I find him very, very entertaining. But the, the point is that I've read him enough that I know his writing style. I know his voice. 
in, in very short order. In fact, it's kind of a fun little game that I play with myself. I click on the headline, I start reading, and I'm like, oh, look, hey, I bet this is him. And I scroll back up to the top and I read the byline, and yeah, it's him. Is spend time, spend time with the author, and you'll get to know his voice. Spend time with the author, and you'll get to know his voice. Several years ago now, it's less, less, I don't listen very often now, but Ange and I used to listen to the Dave Ramsey show a lot, like a lot. And we got to where, now, you know, on his, if you're familiar, his radio show, he has people call in and they ask questions. And I don't know how he's been on air for so long because people call in, they ask the same dang questions over and over and over again, right? And, and, and I really don't know how he stayed on the air for so long because he gives the same dang answers over and over and over again, right? But we had listened to him so often, it, it became this game that we would play, and the, the person would ask the question, and then we would give the answer. And it got to where I could give the answer in almost the exact same words that Dave was going to give. And I'm, I'm wearing my Dave Ramsey blue shirt today. If you, if you guys went through the first FPU, um, Financial Peace University thing, he wore this blue shirt every time. I didn't buy it from him, but I'm saying, like, I put it on this morning and I thought, I'm talking about Dave Ramsey, I'm going to wear the Dave Ramsey blue shirt. Okay? But here's the thing. Like, I had listened to him enough that I knew his values, I knew his instructions, I knew, I knew the advice that he was going to give on how to handle money in the way that he felt was best, right? Read the author, know his voice. Folks, this is the takeaway. If we want to be able to test the spirits, we have to know, we have to know what to measure it against. That intimacy, that, uh, that, uh, that fellowship, that camaraderie with our shepherd, it comes from spending time reading his word. Read it. And the more we read God's word, the more we're going to notice when we hear a message from outside and we evaluate it and we go, wait a second, that doesn't have the same tone. That doesn't have the same value. That doesn't reflect the same message that I know comes from God's word. And it'll send a red flag. We may have to pause a little bit. We may have to dig a little deeper into the message as we evaluate it. But, but it should raise a red flag for us because it doesn't match what we know to be true. But here's the second thing. So the first takeaway, in case this wasn't clear, is read God's word. Spend time reading it. Just, just a week or so ago, I was downstairs with kids. We were talking about God's word. And I said, how many of you have ever read something? I'll just ask in here. How many of you have ever read something in God's word and not understood it? Anybody? Please raise your hand. Or would you come spend time with me and explain it to me? Because I got a few questions. Listen now. If you run into something in God's word that you don't understand, this is what I said to our first through fifth graders, don't stop reading. 
If you need to, write it down and ask somebody. But don't stop reading. Just go on, keep reading, because here's the thing. And I told this story to my kid, to the kids, well, your, your kids downstairs. I think of them like my kids. And he's like, yeah, ah, right? Love those guys, but listen, here's the thing. I said almost every Sunday morning or Wednesday, almost every, every time that I see Ben Green, we'll be over here in the office, and I'll say, Ben, Dude, I was reading this week, and this, I read this. Like, I don't know how many times I had read that, but I read it and understood it this time. I said, I, I just, that, the light bulb went on for me. And Ben is so nice, and he's so patient with me. And he's like, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, I've known that for a long time. But he's so kind to me, because then he will say to me, and I was reading this week, and this thing, the light bulb went on for me here. Now, I think sometimes he's just making that up just, just to be nice to me. But listen, here was the point. Read God's word. Some of y'all read it, and you go, I don't really get it. I don't know what that means. So you put it down, and you stop reading. Don't stop reading. Keep reading God's word. Because over time, God's Spirit will reveal things to you, help you to understand it. The more that you get familiar with it, he'll start to put, oh, I remember this piece back here that seems to connect with this other thing that I'm reading. And Scripture starts to explain Scripture, and we, we start to look at it, and the pieces start to come together as we grow, as we mature, as we uh, begin to understand a little bit more. It's here. But God gives it to us a little at a time, and he helps us don't stop reading his word. And here's the next thing, and the last thing for this morning. What do we do when we hear the word? This is the real thing right here. Obey it. And I don't mean like get around to obeying it. I mean obey it quickly. I think about this now. We got kids in the room. Here's, here's the part of the message just for you now. Listen, when mom or dad or some other halfway responsible adult says to you, stop, it is in your best interest to obey quickly. It's in your best interest to obey quickly. Because obeying quickly is either going to result in you avoiding some danger or avoiding some consequences. And sometimes, folks, sometimes God says to his children, Stop! And it's in our best interest to obey quickly. Now, sometimes he says, Start. Sometimes he says, speak. Sometimes he says, shut up. And it is in our best interest to obey quickly. Please don't miss it. Chapter 3, verse 24. How did we start this? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Obey quickly. Test the messages that you're hearing. 
measure them against what you know to be true in God's word and obey quickly. Let's pray. God, thank you for the message today. God, would you just continue through your Holy Spirit that's, that's deposited in each one of us as believers. Father, would you, through your Holy Spirit, just continue to whisper the truth to us. Father, as we read your word, as we invest, as we commit to reading your word, Father, would you just continue to reveal the truth to us? Would you just continue to help us to understand? And Father, even more, when we do understand something, Father, would you give us the courage and the faith and the trust in you to obey quickly. Father, we love you. We do trust you. Thank you for the good shepherd that leads us. Amen.